All right, brethren, if you will, let's turn to Genesis chapter 38. Genesis 38. We've been looking, been looking at the life of Jacob for quite some time, and then now Joseph. We'll be looking at Joseph's life for even longer. But then we have this kind of intermission. We have this break here in chapter 38 that's all about Judah. Now, we could read from chapter 37 and pick right up in chapter 39 and never miss a beat. The story of Joseph keeps on going. But we have this inserted here, the story of Judah and Tamar. And it's on purpose. It's on purpose. The Lord gave this by inspiration to Moses to pen what he wanted him to write. And this is for us, isn't it? Paul wrote in there in Romans 15, he said, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That's some, there's some implied tasks there. That means you don't know everything. God's going to teach you something uh, and, and fitly frame you together. And there's going to be some stones that's going to rub on some other stones until no man's touched it by hand. Y'all going to squeeze right in together. That's what you And th this is given us to learn that we through patience. I'm not a patient person. I want, I, want, I want it done, the two R's, I want it done right, and I want it done right now, <laughs> whatever it is. Do it right, do it right now. The Lord gives us these things. It's for our learning that through patience and through comfort of the Scriptures, if this is just cold, dead doctrine, we ain't got nothing. Go, go watch a football game. That's all it is. Go down and get your season tickets to the, to the Padres. You'll be better at judgment than, 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 than sitting down and acting like, acting like we know God. And that goes for me, too. If I don't put my money where my mouth is, <laughs> it ain't no, it's, it's a show, isn't it? Lord could use me. He's done that in the past. He, he takes stones and talk to you. He takes a jawbone of an ass. Through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope in our unwavering confidence, absolutely not hope in a person. That's why he gave us a story of Judah and Tamar. So we could hope in Christ. Isn't that something? This is concerning those two. That's the characters, Judah and Tamar. And it's a horrible story. It's a horrible story with a wonderful ending. You're looking at a horrible story. And I can tell you right now, I have a wonderful ending. <laughs> Judah's that fourth born son. Yet this is the one, the son of Jacob, that Christ would come through. It's going to come through the lineage of Judah. He's the line of the tribe of Judah, isn't it? And this Tamar is who he's going to come through. We read there in Matthew 1. That's our, the Lord's genealogy. This here's my family tree. If I was going to tell you my family tree, do you think I'm going to tell you about all the drunks and the, the, the mean people and the murderers and the violence? And No, I tell you, oh, I have statesmen in my family tree and governors or whatever, generals or something. We tell the good things, wouldn't we? What's our Lord do? There's at least five women there in Matthew 1. It says, These are the books of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Jude, Judas. That's Judah. And his brethren. And Judah begat Phares and Zerar of Tamar. He had twins with Tamar. That's the first one the Lord lists. Tamar. She's going to play the harlot. That's how she's going to have these twins put in. First one listed. Rahab's the next one listed there in Matthew 1. A harlot. Ruth. That's the Moabitess. That's the one that came from Moab. That's the incestuous relationship a lot, isn't it? Next one's Bathsheba, the adulterer. And then Mary. 
That's scandalous, isn't it? Is that a scandalous history? Does that offend you? <laughs> Do you find offense in that? Our Lord said, Blessed is he who shall not be offended in me. Some people, it's too much. I can't be. That's what it says, isn't it? That's what the Lord recorded. He eats with friend, his, and eats with and his friends with publicans and sinners and harlots. People of no reputation. That's good news if you're of no reputation. And he breaks the bold and he breaks the strong. It's so. Tamar, she's going to play the harlot in this portion of Scripture. The Scriptures either testify the person of our Lord, his person, who he is, or his work. And in this text, in this chapter, we can learn a whole lot of things. We can learn about our merciful King. We can learn about our gracious God. We can learn about our wretchedness, what we are. You know, there's some places now they're changing the, the words of amazing grace to he saved a, a soul like me instead of a wretch like me. We're taking wretchedness out, ain't we? People don't want to talk about that. We're going to see God taking a situation that's just evil and making something good of it. Only he can do that. I can't do it. You can't do it. Your words can't do it. My words can't do it. He can. I've watched it happen over and over and over and over again. <laughs> It's him. And at the end of it, you're going to say, he did it. I'm telling you through experience. I'm decades of it. Decades of it. It's so. It's so. He did it. It says in verse 1, it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hera. He went down. Instead of going up to the house of the Lord, instead of encouraging his brethren that they just sold off Joseph, didn't they? Boys, we, what we did was wrong. We need to go tell Daddy, and, 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 and on our way there, we need to stop and tell the Lord what we did. We, we sinned against him and him alone, didn't we? And we done it in the presence of everybody else. And we've heard other ones before that. But he went down, down to Judah, down to Egypt. Judah went down. And Judah saw the, the, their daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. The Canaanite was named Shua, not the daughter. He saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite. The Canaanite was named Shua, and he took her and went into her. It was wrong for him to leave his brethren. It was wrong what he did to Joseph. It was wrong for him to be best friends and unequally yoked with, with Hera, and it was wrong to marry a Canaanite woman. Every time a child of Abraham married a Canaanite, there was trouble coming, and Judah did it anyway. He did it anyway. Verse 3, And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son. And called his name Shelah. And he was in Chibiz when she bare him. He was out of town when that son was born. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. How fast did that happen in six verses? He left. And now he's finding a wife for his son. That's what, 20 years? That fast, didn't we? We saw that with Jacob, didn't we? We, we all think he's a young, strapping 22-year-old. No, he was grown when he left. He's up in his 70s, wasn't he? There's a whole lot of days that take place. And 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 one moment in, in a, a, a child of God's life doesn't dictate, doesn't paint the picture of the whole thing. It's the tenor of the entire thing, isn't it? The overall. He took a wife for his firstborn son, Ur. His name was Tamar. 
He'd been down there long enough to get married, long enough to have three sons. Ur was old enough to get married himself. And Judah picked Tamar, a woman, a certain woman. That was the one that the Lord was going to come through. It had to be her. It couldn't be anybody else, would it? Verse 7, And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. We don't know what Ur did, but we know what the Lord did. He was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Look what his brother had happened to him. Verse 8, And Judah said unto Onan, Go unto thy brother's wife and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. That was common practice. We'll read that in Deuteronomy 25 when we get there. But this was someone of, of, of kin, a family member. If, if a person died, the, the brother died, well, a family member would come in and, and give seed to that. They'd have a child with them, and that way that child would get what the, the one that died had. It would be someone to have an inheritance. That's where we get a kinsman redeemer. That's going to be precious down the road to us, isn't it? We're going to need that. A kinsman redeemer. And so in verse 9, it says, And Onan knew that this seed should not be his. What does that mean? Well, it's going to be in the name of my brother. It's going to be in the name of Ur. Who's that? The firstborn. What's that mean? This kid's going to have preeminence. That's like you start seeing who's in the line of succession for the queen or for the, the, the crown over in England. And somebody has a baby and everybody gets shifted, don't they? <laughs> Next thing you know, you're 800th in line. You ain't, you ain't important. And he said, well, I don't... If I do this, he's going to get all things. Maybe it'll be a bigger inheritance for me. Maybe I could take the place of the firstborn if we don't have a child. And Oda knew that his seed would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground, lest he should give his seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore he slew him also. There are times when the Lord deals with wickedness and offense right then. Right then. I knew some men that died very young, and people said, oh, they died too soon. No, they did not. They died when it was appointed for them to die. Why was Ur and Onan doing wickedly? What example did they have? Who raised them? Judah, <laughs> didn't it? I bet, I bet his wife said, you know what? We raised our boys underneath the sound of the gospel. Hogwash. No, you didn't. The scriptures do not tell us if we raise our children as the Lord clearly says for us to, that they're going to grow up and they're going to be wonderful and they're going to be believers. That's not guaranteed. But he tells us how to raise them. And he said, how you raise them, they won't depart from it. But the Lord's long-suffering in this. I'm thankful when I do wickedly and when I'm a spoil in the eye, the Lord doesn't slay me immediately. Are you shocked by that? That's what we looked at Wednesday night. When the first thing the Holy Spirit does is convict of sin, right? And then that's only one-third of threes. There's two-thirds left. If we stop there, you come short. But whenever the Lord does that, if it's true Holy Spirit conviction, it's not that I did some things wrong. It's if God Almighty shows up right now left to myself, I deserve to go to hell, and he's right in doing so. He's just whenever he speaks. He's just whenever he judges. But because of another who he put me in. That's our hope, isn't it? Lord's long-suffering. Verse 11. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house until Shelah, my son, be grown. You stay over there, my youngest one, he ain't old enough yet. But you stay at your daddy's house and you act like a widow and you wear the widow's clothes and as soon as he's old enough, I'll marry you to him. 
Why did he say that? Why did he separate them? For he said, lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Judah had no intention of giving Shelah to Tamar, to joining those two together in, in, in marriage. And he saw Tamar as the problem. Isn't that the case? If everywhere you go, if every job you had forty-five jobs and every boss you had was a bad boss and they was mean to me. Maybe, maybe you're the problem. Maybe you're a bad employee. Do you ever consider that? Well, that's what he said. He has human logic. He's a human brain, doesn't he? And he said, Every son I married to this woman dies. God kills him swiftly. I got one son left. I can't do that. Judah was looking out for his son, wasn't he? Verse 12. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. Judah's spouse, the mother of these children, she died. And Judah was comforted. He went through a mourning time. And at the end of that, he went up to his sheep shears in Timnath. He and his friend, Hera the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father in the law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her. She was doing as she told, wasn't she? She had those widow garments on, and she was in her father's house as she was as she was told to do. She's holding up her end. Now she takes those widow garments off, and she covered her face with a veil, and she wrapped herself, and she sat in an open place, which is, by the way, to Timnath. For she saw that Sheila was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. They said, hey, Judas went up to, he's done mourning. He's going to go shear the sheep. And she said, well, Shula's plenty old enough now. She wasn't going to bother him while he's mourning. But he's plenty old enough now. You said you was going to give me to be his wife. I said, I'm, it's time for me to have children. And she saw that he was grown. And she saw that she wasn't going to be given to be wife. And so did she wait on the Lord? Was she, did she already learn that patience and was grounded and grown and had good hope? No, she took hands, took the matters in her own hands, did she? She wanted to have a child, and she came up with her own plan and her own devices. Has that happened before in Genesis? Remember when Sarah, she said, well, the Lord says we'll give strength. It must be through Hagar. Well, it's obvious is what the Lord wants, isn't it? Sometimes the things that seem so obvious to us are so painful. Oh, uh, Jonah, the Lord said, you're going to go over here and preach. And he said, well, I got a ticket to Tarsus. If the Lord didn't want me to go to, that's fatalism, isn't it? If the Lord didn't want me to go to Tarsus, he wouldn't have had a ticket there. So Tamar, using her human logic, said, well, this, is, this has got to be what's going to happen. I have to have a child. Verse 15, and when Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot because she had covered her face. She dressed like it. She went right to the right spot. And he turned into, unto her by the way and said, go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? What, what's the price? What are you going to pay? If I'm the harlot, what are you going to give me? What, what's in it for me? And he said, I will send a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? He said, I'm going to give you a lamb. <laughs> There's a whole lot of pictures here in this, in this chapter. He said, I'm going to give you a lamb. I'm going to give you a kid, a baby lamb from the flock. And she said, I need something now. I need earnest. I need something. You to pledge something to me now. I'm not going to walk out of this empty-handed. You got to give me something. He said, what shall, and he said, what pledge shall I give thee? I'll give you the kid, but what do you want to hold on to? What earnest, what down payment do you need right now in lieu of that? What collateral? And she said, thy signet 
and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thy hand. And he gave it to her and came unto her and she conceived by him. What was the cost? What was the price here? This, this pledge that she needed. A signet, a bracelet, and a staff. And we read this and we think, oh, just give me your clothing. You know what? I like that watch. Give me a watch and I'll take him shoes. And you got a, That's a nice cane. Let me borrow that cane too. We just think of this as items, isn't it? That signet, you know what that is? That's what a signature ring. You ever seen them movies of old kings in England? They had a ring and they'd put a wax on it and they'd put their knuckle down. And that was the seal. That was a signature, wasn't it? It was his name. She'd go sign checks, whatever, in his name. She could act on his name. The bracelets, this isn't just jewelry. Women wore what we call bracelets nowadays. But this was a twine. It was bound together. It was a piece of garment went around the neck, and it held the signet. So he didn't have to have it on his hand. It's what bound it to him. It wasn't just a, a, somebody could steal that. This is what bound it to him, too. And the staff. That's the branch or the rod, isn't it? That's what he ruled with. That's what he went to war with. He threw it, used it to hit, strike, and that's what he walked with. That was his will and his power. That's what she asked for. That's a big ask, isn't it? That's not just a cheap dime store ring or some cubic zirconium. I want your name. I want that name bound that binds it to you, and I want your staff with it. All your will, all you do, and everything. I want that to be mine. I want to be a part of that. I want to be un- union with that. Old Brother Nybert said, that's like having someone's social security card, their birth certificate, and their passport. You know what that means? You have their identity. You have their identity. All of them. Tamar wanted the identity of Judah, and he gave it to her. He gave it to her. Verse 19 says, And she arose and went away. And laid by her veil, laid by her veil from her, and put on garments of her widowhood. She took off those garments she had on to trick him, and now she went back to looking like a widow. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend the Adulamite to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he found her not. Here come the the original payment, and he wants his pledge back. Those things come back to me. But the Adulamite hero couldn't find her; she wasn't there. And he asked, verse 21, he asked the men of that place saying, where's the harlot? That was openly by the wayside. She was sitting right out here. And they said, there is no harlot in this place. There's no harlot. This is all confusing things, isn't it? You know what the first thing that came to my mind when they said that? That woman was caught in adultery. And they brought her to the Lord to test him, to try him, to tangle him in his words and his actions and everything else they could get him on, whatever angle they could. And they said, what do we do with her? He bit down underground, didn't he? And he wrote in the sand. Didn't say what he wrote, but he started with the oldest one. We'll see that at the end here. And he worked his way down. And one by one, they saw what he wrote. And they said, ah, buddy, I'm out of here. That's convictions, what that is. Whatever it was, whatever he wrote, that's between him and them. It was effectual, wasn't it? It was effectual. And that woman who was caught, she was caught in adultery. <laughs> Red-handed. He said, woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no, Lord. Where's that harlot at? Ain't no harlots here. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Verse 22. And he returned to Judah. That's uh, the Dolomite. And said, I cannot find her. And also the men of this place said that there's no harlot in this place. And Judah said, let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. He said, just cut that that kid loose. 
and, and let that go. And that's if it, if it comes back, well, she let it go. It's her business. Let her take it to her, lest we be ashamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. I don't want my sin exposed, what's taking place. All those horrible things happened, and then there was a downtime. You ever had that? You ever, oh, it's a calm between the storms. Well, we're thankful, ain't we? I did some bad stuff, and the Lord didn't strike me dead right then. And we think because God doesn't punish sin immediately that we got away with it, don't we? That's human nature, isn't it? And it came to pass, verse 24, about three, <clears throat> verse 24, and it came to pass about three months after it was told to Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, not that she did the act with him, but she's out running around. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. I was going to give her to, to Sheila. And, and she already gave her to, to her, already gave her to Onan. And now she's went out and, and got pregnant. Kill her. Burn her. He was so mad she didn't stay true to his youngest son, those other two. He wanted her to burn for it. And it was right to do so, wasn't it? How quick we forget. Paul said in Romans 2, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou hast judgest, thou that judgest doeth the same things. And that's so, isn't it? Has that been your experience in this life? You see somebody judging and say, that's wrong. And then they turn right around to the exact same thing. I would never. And then they get to never, don't they? Let me explain something to you. This is the classroom. You understand that? We, we get, we, we, it's like going to college and you take a class and you read about this and how to do surgery and what a heart is. And then when you go out that door, that's when you have your practicum. That's when you go out and you do it and you feel the hearts and you see the things. Do you understand that? We read these things, but the Lord's going to apply this to us and teach us this on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and as we're going out through this world, not just for, for two and a half hours a week in this place. And that's going to take a lifetime, a lifetime. It's so, I read that before when I was a kid and I thought, well, that's got to be right. The Lord said it, but I hadn't experienced that. And so then I bow. Like there are some things I judge people, that's stuff I've never done. And I don't know how I'm guilty of it, but I am. Not because I think something, because he says so. And I know him to be true. Judah judged her. He said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. Just like me, Judah's quick to see the sins of other people and swift to justify himself until we're convicted. Until we're convicted. Verse 25. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child? She says, I have something. She goes, And the daddy is the one that owns these. And she said, discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet and the bracelets and the staff. That life that's in me, the man responsible, these are his. That's what she's saying. Now you discern them. You judge it. You sort out. You declare right from wrong. You see what it is. Verse 26. And Judah acknowledged them and said, she hath been more righteous than I. Because 
that I gave her not to Sheila, my son, and he knew her again no more. He saw that. He saw his sin. The Lord used that to convict him. And what happened? He said, you're more righteous than I. That's what Saul told David, wasn't it? He said, thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. I was getting ready to burn you, Tamar. And I was the problem. It'd do us real good if the Lord shows us in this lifetime that I'm the problem and not somebody else. Where does contention come from? Only by pride. Only by pride, isn't it? If we'd find our guilt on this earth first, that's a, that's a grace of God. That's him being generous to us. Where's the gospel in all this? Where's the gospel? We saw some bits and pieces, didn't we? The gospel's in the seed. In the seed. Inside of Tamar. Through that lineage. That's where our Lord's coming from. That promised seed, singular as of one Christ, is in her. That's the good news. All this bad, there's, there's incest and lying and deceiving and trickery and everything else on all sides. Who's wrong? Everybody. Has anything changed? If there's a trial we go through right now and, and oh, well, things are so hard, Who, who's at fault? Everybody. Everybody. Every man's a liar. God's true. Isn't it? That promised seed. With all that scandal going on here, the disobedience of Judah, him being a fraud and selfish and, and, and finding comfort in worldly people and going into a harlot, and then three months later, he was so self-righteous and proud, he was going to burn his daughter-in-law who he thought deceived him. But God. In spite of our sin and our rebellion and total grace, and mercy that we is only revealed to us in fragments. If we saw the magnitude of it, we just worship him all day long. That'll be glory, isn't it? We see things dimly. This is the very lineage of our kinsman redeemer, the one who was a, a, a related to us. Those was a man like I am, and was rightfully so and able to purchase me. He's going to come through her. We see the gospel in her child, don't we? Then we see the gospel in Tamar. You who are the Lord's <laughs> and anybody else who's listening. The only way you will not be burned for all of our deception and all of our whoring about with Babylon, getting drunk on her wine, is if we come to the Father identified only by another's name, another's binding, and another's power. The only way we can approach the Holy God is being in. That's what we saw with uh, Jacob and Esau, wasn't it? When Jacob deceived his father, that's what we saw as bad. He didn't know the Lord then. <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. But he went in, he smelled like the sun. He, he dressed like the sun. He felt like the sun. And he didn't say anything his doing, did he? They said, where'd you get the deer meat? <laughs> Where'd that venison come from? Lord gave it to me. Lord gave it to me. Our only hope to stand before a holy God that we've offended is to have the name of Christ to be bound to him and it's all by his power and his doing. And we see in Judah what a grace the Lord has granted him. He saw his unrighteousness and he esteemed Tamar higher than himself. That is just culturally, that is not acceptable. You understand that? A father-in-law to esteem his daughter-in-law? Like it, you're, you're not even my child, you're my child's bride. <laughs> I ain't listening to you. You're going to do what I say. He esteemed her higher than himself. 
That's, that's the Lord's doing in it. He has to do that. We can't humble ourselves. You can't do it. We'll be the ones that go through it. God does it. He's the one that bows us down. We can't esteem someone higher than ourselves. I love that fellow that shaved me. Do you know that? He doesn't do much wrong. I can justify anything that somebody else might think he does wrong. I love self, don't I? Lord can reveal us what we are and our pride and our self-righteousness. That's what Paul's right there to the church at Philippi. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I've experienced that. There's people, I, I, I haven't went through the, the grief as, like, as other people go through over sin and just every day just down and weeping and crying. And I know what I am. I have lived that. I, I know what it's like to not get out of bed because of the wretch that I am. I understand that. But I, I see people that have no assurance. And, and they're, they're, they don't seem like they have any joy in the Lord and in the gospel. And what he has done for them. And he hath saved us. He has saved us. Uh, need him today. And then if I'm alive tomorrow, he's going to have to be with me then too. Right? And I talked to my pastor. I said, maybe there's something wrong with me. You know what I mean? I, I, I was already... <laughs> I thought I was okay, and then now I'm not okay. Maybe I'm the problem, and I ought to be feeling this grief all the time and wearing hair shirts or something. I don't know. But the Lord gave me a job to do, and I'm going to go do it. I understand that, don't we? Arise. Get ye up. Gird yourself like me and get to it. <laughs> That's that day. And then another day I'll be down in the dumps and crying and not be able to get out of bed, and then the next day I'll be high, and happy, and joyful. The Lord did this. It's fine. Calm down. We esteem others better than ourselves if the Lord does it. And he said in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He's gave that sacrifice in you. If, if your spirit's broke, he's the one that broke. A horse don't break itself. You understand that? It has to be broken. That ass that he wrote, no man had ever broke it. No man had ever wrote it. He did it. Because that's what he does in us, isn't it? And a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, will thou not despise. When he does this, uh, when we come to passages, if y'all read that last night or this morning, there in Genesis 38, if, if we don't see the Lord in it, either who he is or what he has done for us and shall do, we've missed it. You understand? And, and, and not everything's revealed to us. We can't know it all. But I'll tell you one thing, there'll be a day when we're brought out because of his mercies we're brought from this sin-cursed world out of this body of death, and we stand before him holy and unreprovable without blame and love. And he'll say, look here, let me show you something. In the beginning, God. Oh, Gabe says, we'll take 10,000 years and explain to us what that means. That would be precious, wouldn't it? Show me again. That's Christ in there? Show me what he did. Tell me one more time. Tell me about grace and mercy. Undeserved. There's nothing but a bunch of sinners in this, is there? Of debauchery and horribleness, but God. But God. He's rich in mercy, isn't he? Brother Mike.